0: Furdy de Come on load, load. Oh, come on. What's Yay! Got a bit more. Hello. Switch sound off. Bingo. Tim Sycamore. Thomas Cullow from Poland. Michael Simmons. Robert Monroe. Hi. Ah, uh, what is it there? Where is it? Everybody coming on board now. Rico Pina. Wolfgang Tremel from Bad Homburg. Stephen Power. Gossip. Tim and Jacks. Simon Sheffield. Hope you're fishy, thank Card arrived. Dead. I know dead, some? Thank you. i coming out there. Val Gamble from Dunbar. Patrick Walters, where's this thing going? Where's this thing going? Oh, I can't scroll. Bastardos. Oh, it's coming. Keith Johnson, where's the bloody remote? Yeah, Mike Freeburn, hello. Oh, Siobhan. All the Georgia best. You're retired today, Siobhan. Wow, lucky you. I'm still waiting. Oh, this is terrible. Why is this doing this? I have a greetings from... Me. Harold Behrens. Aaron Vanderlei, Seattle, USA. Sean Detler. Webb. Oh, yeah. Michael Harter. Evening. Yeah, the vinyl. Karen Reid. Hello from Aberdeen. Yeah, love a spear, Alan Peter Welsh. Newcastle, happy birthday to your wife Nicola. There you go. Kenny Henshaw thank you for the Gmail. Now go away. Uh, good evening from Luckfarm in Belgium. Paul Bernard, Albert Williams, Stephen Todd. Oh, it's kind of through me tonight. We're a, a bit of a hectic day. It's been um. It's, uh, I didn't introduce myself. Hello, I'm Fish. The only singing, talking and dancing fish in the world. And welcome to Fish and Friday. Friday. Friday, Friday, Friday. Erdinger, alcohol fry. Only for two hours. And then we settle into Friday night. First championship game in Scotland tonight. Harston D on BBC TV. Well, will not be watching that, but... Ah... I'm just settling down, because it was like, just the lead up to this was just a bit, <sighs> an update on the problems of the studio. Victor Charlie, um, has, uh, his presence is not being felt anywhere. Victor Charlie, Charlie is the name of the rat, perhaps, the perhaps rat. That we got somewhere in the, the house, we don't know. But anyway, we've this. There's, um, there's, we've been putting a lot of poison down. Three loads of poison went outside in one of the tunnels. Three. They're in the tunnel, the Kuchi tunnel complex down at the back of the Naples uh, annex thing. Three loads of poison gone. Right. And um, so they're either like they're abs- off their heads down there, loving the stuff, or like there's a lot of dead things down there. Um, I was reminded when I went out to the cabin that it's, uh, we must keep. The cabin mice have gone um because of the regulations and everything they're now uh disappeared back to family homes which has been kind of a bit weird we were so so lucky we were so lucky that we um we managed to get the timing on that right regarding with a uh, um regarding having the guys around and having them kind of distanced and all set up but i mean it's just got too much now as you saw with the, the ratings going up and everything that's happening, but I'll come on to that in a wee bit. But I mean, uh, yeah, so the Victor Charlie, the rat problem, in the, the, in the room, we've got one of them Sonic things in the wall and um, the Sonic thing in the wall seems to have done the trick. We heard it scuttling about about three nights ago and we put the beam on, so put up to full stun, right? And uh, it, it kind of disappeared, so we don't know, but they, they seem to be going, but uh, there's a couple of corpses out there on the wire um charlie's out in the wire but i mean we're keeping they're outside the perimeter now i think and uh but i'm dreading next year next summer i was speaking to rab about this because next year is when i take the control room and i sk- take it right back to skin right back to brick and um we're going to completely destroy the control room and get right back to brick sit in it for a couple of months look at it and go what are we going to do with this but the one bit I'm dreading is there's a bit above my desk, which is where I heard the mice scutt- scuttling about and where we put blocks of poison and things. And um, there's a lot of stuff up there in that attic kind of um, insulation foam. And um, it's well, I think it's going to be hazmat suits when we go up there because I, I want to take all that roof down and expose all the timbers like I've done in the rest of the house. But, you know, like I said, those are on the to-do list. But it's been a kind of... The week's been a bit kind of... Um, it was a bit of downer. It was, uh, I think, you know, everybody knew that the gigs at the UK shows that had been rescheduled from March this year and moved to February next year. You know, we all kind of knew that they were highly unlikely that were going to happen, and with the rise of the R rate and everything else, there's no way. And even though you know, I had it in my head that it was kind of, you know, it ain't going to happen. Actually, you know, when I sat down and wrote the email to all the guys. It was uh, And just said, look, it's off, the festivals are off, and let's just keep our fingers crossed for September next year. And, you know, when I actually wrote it and pressed the send button, it was kind of, it kind of hit me a bit, you know. And uh, I, had one of, I had one of those days, you know, they're like, well, I just kind of gone. oh, fuck, you know, darkness and rain and shite and stuff, and then no tour. So anyway, it's gone, and then, you know, I had to post it up to you guys. I think we all feel the same way about it. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a hit, and it is a cancellation. It does piss me off a little bit that, you know, the Ticketmaster, you know, refunds what they took for the tickets. You know, those people spend a lot of money. I, I, mean, I don't like the whole Ticketmaster setup, and I'd love to find a way to do it, but it's very, very difficult. And one thing, that when I do my farewell tour, which is probably looking like 2022, um, it will be 2022, uh, when that happens, I'm going to definitely find a way to kind of avoid scalpers and shit, because I get pissed off with them. And um, it was like, to, I, I get sent through these things from Amazon. Hi there, you may be interested in the Fish, Vigil, in the Builders of Mirrors album. I'm very interested in the Fish, Vigil, and the Vigil, and the Builders of Mirrors album, actually. Very interested in it. I'm very interested in getting somebody to sign off on it so that I can move ahead and get this remaster done, but nobody's done that yet, so I'm still waiting to find out. But, meanwhile, on Amazon, 100, I think it's 148 quid for a CD. You are having a laugh, mate. And it's like, you know, I don't know who, the, the guy is selling it, but I mean, it's 148 quid for a CD. You, come on, right? And the other annoyed one is a Kettle of Fish, which we were flogging for three quid, because we had a, a bunch left, and like, you know, the, we just want to get rid of them. And they're up there selling for kind of like, you know, 12 quid, 15 quid, 14 quid, you know, up on Amazon. And I think what really got me, mate, and you know, I, that's the song of the, the album I'm going to be playing tonight. I'm going to be doing Weltschmerz because I'm really in a Weltschmerz kind of mood today. You know, it's, um, <clears throat> you know it was, uh, you know, I was you know, finding out the other day that, you know, there's going to be a, a 2% surcharge on digital services that have been levied on Amazon and Google. And what are they doing? Passing them on to all the customers, right? They're just passing them on to all the sellers. So we've got to deal, with, well, if I was selling Amazon, I would have to, you know, people would be saying, why don't you sell on Amazon? I won't, because they take so much money for what they're doing and they're very, very, I find them as a, as a, a, a retailer working on it, it was really awkward, really difficult to talk to people, get answers, et cetera. I think I've, I've done this before. But yeah, so, you know, it was interesting to see that the wealth of the the richest people in the world has gone up by something like 25%. And Amazon, out of the 4.5 billion or so many billion that they earned, they paid 14 million tax. And, um, you know, it kind of winds me up a little bit. It's, uh, you know, because I mean, everything you're seeing, you know, when you look at the, 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 the furlough, the payments, the government borrowing, blah, blah, blah. You know, if half of these big corporations actually paid the tax they're supposed to pay. Then there would be a lot less you know um, of the the hammer coming down on the other businesses that are can kind of making it happen that can't afford like you know millions of pounds on accounts it's um it's uh it annoys me and it's it, it got me very very angry the other day when I saw those figures and um you know the fact that amazon and a lot of these big firms are benefiting hugely from the kind of from people having to buy a mail order because they couldn't go to shops for a a lot of stuff. So they're they're buying off it and they, you know, it should only be right. My opinion, it's mine, and this is my old man stuff because I'm allowed to say this shit. But it's like, um, you know, it's like these big corporations where they're kind of United States registrations and offshore registrations and blah, 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 and all these ways. They should just pay the tax in the countries where they make the money, right? And I think our National Health Service and a lot of other um, institutions and a lot of other social services would benefit from a government that's able to get the money off these corporations. But then again, these corporations pay lots of money to the government. And um, so there you go. Um, I've got a watch here because I could go into that mode, but people don't like me being in, in the pub where I get ra rah, rah. But move on to something else. It was... Oh, that's another thing, right? There's the Rangers-Celtic game on this weekend, right? Now, I'm neither a Rangers or a Celtic supporter. I would like to see the match, and it's a match that in previous times I would have probably gone down to the pub and spent, you know, an afternoon in the pub watching it just as a bystander, because it's always an exciting game. And, um, but with the whole curfew and, and everything, with the, the, the lockdown that's come across, all the pubs are shut up here, so what you have is all the pubs shut in Glasgow and a lot of people can't afford Sky subscriptions. I don't have Sky Sports because I just find it ludicrous ludicrously ludicrously expensive. My teeth are just no working to do. It's ludicrously expensive and you know and you know, the number of times that hibs are ever on on Sky, it's usually a hearts match or something else, you know. Or a Celtic match or a Rangers match or something. But I mean, um, you know, I don't wanna pay Fortunes to watch Barnsley against Ipswich. I'm much though the fence meant to Barnsley's Ipswich supporters, but you know I've got better things to do than watch. You know, kind of English Championship games and stuff like that. You know, I've got other. I've got a life up here. But um, but my point was, the Rangers Celtic is an all match and it's on Sky. Right? You have all the pubs shut in Glasgow, and a lot of people, a lot of fans in Glasgow, can't afford Sky TV in their houses. Right? So they tend to go down to the pubs to watch it so they can't go down the pub to watch it. So there's a lot of people decided that they're gonna to go to a pub somewhere in the North England to watch it, which I think is a bit daft. But being a football fan, I can, I can see the point. And there was something that was put forward, which I thought was brilliant. And Nicola Sargent, First Minister, suggested, right, that um, uh, to Sky and to the Scottish Football League guys, that the match should be free. And if the match was just... If this one match should be made free, then, you know, you would have a lot of people in houses that could be able to watch it that aren't desperately trying to find out or having to listen to on BBC Scotland Radio, which is great, but, like, it's radio, guys. Um, it's not happening. And I just, you know, I thought that Sky could maybe just, for one game, you know, at this time, just kind of throw it out. But I suppose it's a legal precedent, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and Sky obviously will be looking for people to buy the one-off match performance for how many quid it is. But, um, you know, you would have thought that this time, you know, just to help out, you know, just to kind of, you know. But as I said, you know, the big corporations, like, right? they definitely make sure um, uh, they squeeze every kind of fennig out of us. Wow. Well, Sorry, I'm speaking my, if I'm speaking a bit fast. I saw so somebody said I don't speak English very well. I'm very sorry. I try and speak English the best I can. Sometimes I speed up. When I get angry and when I get excited, I talk very, very fast and very Scottish. And um, so, but anyway, that's the Sky thing. The Rangers-Celtic game. You know, I thought it could have been so easy just to allow a free transmission or something like that just so that it keeps the Rangers and Celtic fans happy, which, you know, and, uh, and avoids you know, putting desperation into the equation, but what I did do last week was um, Hibs were playing Forfar Athletic in uh, uh, Station Road, and so it was Hibs Forfar, and it was a Betfred Cup game, and Hibs had only about a third of the first team squad. But you know, as I said, you know I'm a football fan and I like to watch the games, and on top of that, Forfar were offering a broadcast, and I thought it would be nice. They wanted twelve pound fifty, and I thought that's cool. So I paid my £12.50 to fourth for athletics so I could watch the game. <laughs> so I managed to I borrowed a lead off, off my stepson. Liam, I got an HDMI lead and we managed to get it in the telly so we could sit in front of the fire and watch the EBS game, right? So I got the laptop, got the HDMI lead in, plugged it all in, did it, I put it up. And there was this picture of an empty football ground and I'm going, maybe it's been cancelled, right? And obviously there's nobody there. Right. There was a couple of grounds, but there was no sound, nothing. And I'm going, it's the volume down. And I put the volume up, there it was like, I and I'm going, what? And it was a really shitty picture, right? And it was just like, you know, one camera on the ground. And I thought, oh, it'll kick in. 7.45, kick off. Yeah, it kicked in, all right. <laughs> one camera. And I think, I think but somebody must have borrowed the camera. It's like somebody's going like, oh, hi, eh, uh, Billy Johnson's got—he's got a camera. We could use that. It's either up, but I think what they actually did was they, they plugged into the CCTV cameras in the stadium that covered the ground, and they had one camera that was on a joystick, right? That moved very slowly. So like it, it went, and the, the, the keeper—no commentary. Right? All you heard was the guys huffing and puffing and swearing, you know, on the on the, the ground, right? So had no idea what was going on. One camera, static position, eh, and the joystick. So the ball, for, for, the ball goes out for a goal kick, right? And then the keeper comes up and, and he kicks the ball and the camera goes, eh, and it's still trying to catch up with the ball and the action is going on on the other side of the pitch and then he's, eh, and there was, kind of, there was no real zoom. Oh, more dovey stuff. I don't want roses. it must be that time of the night it was like Sutton's, Dobies and everybody go like let's send out all the emails and get people to buy stuff because it's like they're going to get pissed up and buy garden stuff on on email tonight I digress forfa, station ground the cameras right and it's so grainy and then they get the spinning wheel right and I'm sitting watching it and it comes back on about three minutes later it was like 12.50 right and uh, so I watched the match and it was dreadful right it was, I mean, probably, you know, if I'd would i been there, it would, it would still be dreadful. We scored in 86 minutes in won one 0 So, like, we're kind of unbeaten in the, in the cup so far, which is great, you know. But I wrote a wee letter to Forfa, and I just said, like, look, I said, you know, no problem. I said, I don't want my money back. It's like, you know, I'm happy to, to give some money to Forfa Athletic because, you know, like all the clubs nowadays in, 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 in those divisions, they're on the end. But I said, you know, just if you get it together... And, um, you know, if you could just get a couple of cameras and a little editing suite, and it's, um, oh, go away. And it's, um. but yeah, but I mean, this kind of the way you think some of the clubs would really get into that now. And that, you know, it, it's, it's you know, especially the clubs that never get covered by Sky. So why do they set up, get up a little unit and, and set them up so you can actually do a live broadcast? I mean, you know, we can do it, you know, it can be done with musicians and stuff, so why can't they just do it in all the grounds and and get in touch with your fans, do the website and become a bit more proactive and and, and bring some money in because, you know, I I think Hibs play Ross County tomorrow and I think Ross County have got the game on on pay-per-view and I'm happy to give money to Ross County, you know, to, to, to watch a game live rather than surfing around in, you know, those places where it's like, you know, you're... Your virus, warning, this side is dangerous, this site. Da, 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 da. I'm happy to pay Ross County and I will be doing that tomorrow. But as I said, I mean, you know, with football and the way, we're all trying to work around things. I mean, if stadiums actually got together, there is, there are the digital facilities and stuff to do all this now. So why not do it? And like, I'm sure a lot of punters would be happy to pay, you know, and I think for, for athletic punters, I mean, even if you've got two, three hundred a week, you know, it helps go to the wages and things. Just my little bit piece. But I bought my Forfa Letty Pass. And here's to you, Forfa. Thank you. And the the email you sent back was really nice. And thank you. Uh. Neil Montgomery, what next? The plan? How will you use your time? Well, number one, I mean, I should say, I mean, to go back to right at the start, the vinyls are sold out. I didn't expect this at all. We bought. I've got 3,000 vinyls and I've, and I've got the same as uh, the Feast of Consequences or round about the same as Feast of Consequences. And the Velcroquence Vinyl's gone. And it's, you know, that's in the space of, you know, well, of, obviously the pre-orders, but, I mean, um, you know, it's in the space they've all left here in the last last couple of weeks, um, thanks to Rab and the Cabin Mice and things. And, of course, you know, Simona and my mum, who've been, you know, I mean, this place has just been... It's it's been like a bus station, how it used to be. How a bus station used to be like in the days before COVID. <laughs> but um, but yes, the vinyl's gone, and we've cracked all the pre-orders. They all they've all gone out. There's one or two probably that are, that have been that are sitting in batches that we need to sift through. That our guys who'd run the software are, are still kind of like you know still playing whack a mole with certain things. But um, but the way it works is that um, the, it's done. The pre-orders are all done, and we are allegedly in clear air, which means that orders that are coming in now are being processed on a daily basis. So it's a, which is a great feeling to have. Um, I feel lot more confident when I get the complete green light off the entire kind of um, mail order site, and we know for definite that everything's kind of been accounted for, and we've got everything away. We sit here and we've been doing brilliant. Been yockies going out there, for, oh, every day this week, and it's um, and it's been great. The shitty news is the vinyl, right? I mean, selling out the three thousand albums, brilliant. But I mean, again, as I said last week, you know, we've had people contacting us because you know the the postal services are throwing packages about like this guy, or like Kung Fu stars, you know. And um, the vinyl's been going through the gatefold sleeve. I talked to the manufacturers today and asked if I could get a heavier uh, cardboard to try and help out, but they can't do that. So we still got the same cardboard. So when the next lot of vinyl comes in, and we will not be restocked with vinyl until February. And it's unbelievable at the moment. You cannot get vinyl pressed anywhere in Europe. Um, because everybody is buying vinyl. It's, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's got something to do with the lockdown and people rediscovering albums and shit, you know, but you can't get vinyl made. So we have to wait until February and I've got two thousand another 2,000 order for February. But I think what we might do is at some point, maybe in December, end of December, we might put on a pre-order so that we, you know, people know that they're going to get the album. So we don't have a huge rush. And we can kind of spread it out. And it will only be that that will be in pre-order. But that's a decision we've got to make at some point. Um, but as I said, the pre-order's are gone. It's, um, the house is as empty as it's ever been. And we're looking at kind of moving the operation back from the living room and back into the control room because we should be able to handle it now, which is fantastic. But as I said, I mean, my hat's off to Simona because she, she's been really up against it you know, especially dealing with the, the, the software side, where there's been so many glitches come up that it's been, it, it's really hampered what we've been doing. And, um, <clears throat> but, you know, we're trying to work through them. So uh, and it'll happen. But, it's, uh, but like I said, the vinyl, you know, apart from the disc guy thrown, which were the replacement sleeves, I've ordered another, the next batch of vinyl we've got coming in, I've ordered an extra 200 sleeves, empty sleeves, to, because obviously we've been sending sleeves out to some people, uh, people that have com- complained, or quite rightly complained about you know the, the damaged sleeve, so we've had to take the vinyl and take the the case the the inner's out and, and send them the, the the actual vinyl gatefold sleeve to replace it, which has meant I've had to butcher uh, about I think it's I think we're up to about twenty three there's twenty three albums that we've kind of lost. I've still got the vinyl in the inner pack sleeves but they don't have any gatefolds because we've had to replace the gatefolds for some people. But, um, so, you know, we're kind of living very independently. And as far as like, you know, we've had two Blu-ray discs went down, right? One of them, a guy sent it in, said, my Blu-ray's gone, I can't play this, can't play this. Answered them, got a Blu-ray, butchered the Welshman's put in a package. It was about to go out and he says, sorted it, it was a software thing. <laughs> anyway, it was um Another thing I should tell you as well is that some people have been saying that, like, you know, there's a lot of kind of the white paper powder on the the albums and stuff. And I've complained about that to the manufacturer, and they're going to change the inner sleeves on the next load as well. It's nothing serious. It's just annoying that you've got to clean a piece of clean a vinyl, you know, when you take it out brand new. But it's just a white it's a white powder paper residue from the, the factory. But um. Gary Stafford, do you make much on iTunes? Not really. There's a lot of people involved in it. The digital thing kind of works through, you know, the digital thing works through other people. It's, you have to go through other people to get to... James Cassidy at 7 House has been absolutely brilliant. He introduced me to the whole digital side. And, you know, and he works alongside that. But, you know, it goes out to America and it all goes out through America. It's, it's a completely different process. I far prefer this side of things where it's physical I'm old fashioned you know and I like this physical thing I like the fact that the albums are going out and you know I was sitting there just last Sunday and you know the wife and I were having a family night in so we're sitting watching TV and just sitting on either couch just packing vinyls putting vinyls in so fragile do not bend fragile do not bend you know you know and that's what it's kind of been like so it has been guilt Andy Marshall, birthday Freddy routine, listening to fish in the kitchen while having a beer and making the chilies. Chilies, yeah. I mean, this is the thing, it's like, you know, what are we going to do? I mean, I've not been out in the garden for like, oh, two weeks now. And, you know, I've had a, a couple of things, I mean, but I mean, I mean, the toma- the toms are gone now, the tomatoes are all gone, and I've got to get in the greenhouse, empty all the tomato containers with all the compost is in them, find a place to put all that compost, right? Because there's a bit, th- two-ton, I think, in all the containers, between the two, three-ton and all the containers between the, the potatoes, which I've still got to get out some of the containers. But, I mean, it's, it's getting out in the garden and, and tidying up and pruning. We should have been out down in the orchard uh, and we were going to get the cabin mice to switch across the orchard duties and pick up the apples and bring the apples back and we've got a big press because we make our own apple juice and we make our own cider, right? And... um. So that was supposed to happen. But again, now we've got this new lockdown and household rule come in. We can't really do that. So at some point next week, I'm hoping I'm going to be free of interviews enough and free all the other bits and pieces to go out and start getting some of that together. But garden, pruning, pruning the orchard, cleaning up, dividing the hostas and all that garden stuff that bores you intensely. It's like, that's all what we've done. And I've got to pick all the chilies because we've got a chilli crop this year. It was fantastic. Tomatoes were rubbish. chilies were brilliant. So, well. But I mean, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, it's dark, which you all know is like crap. I mean, uh, there's the north. Murky, crappy, shitey, horrible weather. But I've got bulbs to go in. chili bulbs, daffodil bulbs. I've got all the garlic to go in. I've got uh, onions, My onion sets all arrived, boxes and boxes of them, they've still got to go in. Um, and then in the house, we've got a lot of things, we've got decorating to do, so I mean, there'll be enough, kind of, I can keep myself occupied and we can keep ourselves together and, you know, on a creative front, you know, as I said, I'm still waiting on the sign off on the Vigil in the Wilderness and Mirrors album, I've got an xl on and 30 star to do and the live album. So there's, there's bits, there's things to be done on that side. And it'd be really nice if Steve Vances, I actually managed nice to see Steve, because I've not seen him since, I've not seen him since March. It's the longest time ever, we've kind of not seen each other for, which is kind of really strange. And I miss him, you know? And, um, and I you know, I did my round robin kind of phone calls and things in the last you kind know, of couple of weeks. Yatta, who's doing fine struggling with his house steve's doing uh publishing work in bits and pieces um radar um um steve kent he's in, he's working at amazon with robots he said he said he shares a room with seven robots packing stuff and um gavin griffiths i phoned a couple of weeks ago he's pretty cool robin was supposed to phone me on his birthday because it was steve and robin's birthday on the same day as my anniversary so it's easy to remember all the birthdays so um but Simone and I, our anniversary was kind of like pretty naff, to be honest. I got the flowers, which I remembered. But you know, normally we go to a Fisher's restaurant in Edinburgh and it's our traditional kind of anniversary thing where we go to Fisher's and have a big sp- seafood splash and, you know, bottle on serre and things. And of course, couldn't go out, so we were stuck here. So it was the fish van arrived on Wednesday. So the, our anniversary meal was scallops and... Um, a pack of frozen um, mixed seafood things from Tesco's. That was her anniversary meal. And Samora's birthday is on Monday. Um, again, can't do anything. It's <laughs> nowhere to go I so will, I will be cooking on Monday. So, But um, there's lots to do. Like I said, we've been picking out. We've got a room to decorate. Our bedroom's got to be decorated because we've been in there for two years. We've not done anything to it. So that's all what we sorted out. And then the control room's got to be tight. I mean, there's loads of stuff. I mean, you can always find stuff to do. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, if I can get through February and March, I want to learn how to do... The Funny Farm Kitchen Garden is going to come into play a lot more. But um, with, a, with a greenhouse, I've got LED grow lights. Got to get the whole thing insulated, right? Then I've got to try and work out how to get LED grow lights. And I want to get my toms and everything. I want to get everything grown early. And I want to try and grow some salads through the winter as well. So that, you know, we're kind of well-stocked. It's all part of my uh, prepper mode. Well, Howard Nichols, where to put all that compost? I relate to that, Yeah. <laughs> Sean Michel, cider, yes. Yeah, if you have no albums left with sleeves, no, I mean, the thing is, I've got all the, I've got the vinyls and I've got the, they're all vinyls and they're all in our sleeves and they're all perfect but I've had to take them out to send the the gatefold sleeves. There's no point in sending out, you know, albums even though it costs exactly the same to send out a a, a gatefold sleeve as it does a vinyl which annoys me to hell. Um, it's a, the problem is that we we, we have all the good vinyl, but what I've got is I've ordered from uh, Pro Factor, my Dutch distribute, my, my Dutch kind of manufacturers. They oversee all the manufacturing and the project. They've been absolutely brilliant and um, really understanding, really helpful. And I've got another two hundred sleeves coming with the next order that, that arrives here in February two, thousand twenty one. So uh, so when that happens, then we've got the 30 40 sleeves you know but the problem is with the vinyl being sold out now i've got no things to butcher so there's a lot of vinyls that are out there in the post all heading to people and i'm just i just hope they all arrive because there's nothing we can do if the the gatefolds are broken apart from you know refund and or people are gonna have to wait until next year and we'll send out new ones but we've been doing it all the all, all the uh Time. Robert Barotto, so then you're not going to have digital copy, oh, pff, I lost that, damn oh, come down, stop doing this uh... George Conner had the best raspberries out of our garden the last couple of weeks, he got in a late rush I know, we had the same, it was brilliant raspberries the autumn raspberries David Woodcock, good to hear. yeah, that's good, yeah he is he's doing well but um, he's really struggling, He's on his own like he's on his own in the wilderness of Wales and is um constructing a house. Um great idea, pay online, I'm not doing a streaming gig. I can't do it. It's like I cannot bring the guys together, right? You've got to understand everybody they don't live next door. So I've gotta bring them all here, I've gotta bring them all on flights. It's going to be dangerous for them. It's dangerous for me. Ain't doing it, right? And I do not want to sit and play in a room, you know? There's one thing sitting in a room on your own talking to a camera, but it's another thing when you're actually putting together a, a live performance. I'm just not into it. It's just be awful. Helen Dorothy, congratulations University. Thank you much, Helen. Uh, Kevin Towser, of Cider. <laughs> Garden Wildlife Direct Sunflower Hearts But oh, Go away Lisa Johnson Any update on the Fish and Friday t-shirts No I've got to get that I want to try and get that Sorted out in the next week So it's like You know Greg Whitten Golden Lion Gala Shields Your first gig venue Any memories Um Yeah, the Golden Lion, I was talking with somebody the other day about the Golden Lion and it seemingly changed hands and it went back to being the Golden Lion again and and stuff. But uh, yeah, the the Golden Lion, I used to live, I stayed with my my girlfriend then, was Leslie, when I was 18, 19 years old. And um, she was studying at the the College of Textiles in Galashiels and she lived up in a place, it was up at the back of Canal Street. And I uh, think it was at Canal Street, Bridge Street. I can't remember. Anyway, it was like the, the two main streets. If you, 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 There was the little gardens and there was a, a road went up. And we lived up there on the right hand side. And uh, that, was, um, that was our base. And I used to go and drink in the Golden Lion. The story about the Golden Lion was that um, it's, it's been done in interviews. But I'd gone up to see Peter Gabriel... Play at the Odeon in nineteen. What was it? This would be the beginning of nineteen eighty, I think it was. And he had a terrible gig. He had one of them gigs where everything went wrong. The PA went down. There was loads of technical problems, and he was kind of exposed, right? He, as a front man, he was he was very exposed. And he tried to deal with it with a teddy bear, and, and it was like, it was kind of like watching that whole veneer stripped off kind of somebody you held in great regard going like wait a minute this is a, it's a normal person right and um the actual real story with this is good because um so this was i think it was a chain 84 tour the, the the band that was actually supporting gabriel at that time was random hold and the guitarist was david rhodes who eventually went on to to uh, come Peter, Gabriel, joined Peter Gabriel's band, and I loved, I loved Random Hold. Actually, I've still got a little button band. I think uh, that band, they're really cool. Didn't do anything. I think they only did a couple of albums. But the Gabriel thing was that I remember seeing the gig, and it, it was a good gig. It was a, uh, I'm trying to think, it would be the, it was that was the Peter Gabriel the second solo album, which wasn't as good as the first, in my opinion. And it was a good gig, you know. I was like, yeah, yeah, and the hits at the end, and it was all Salisbury Hill vibe and stuff. And I walked out the, the gig and um, there was a guy called Gordon Feeney and he was at Dalkeith High School with me and he was a drummer and he was the guy that was, if he had the mark of, you know, you know, some kids you just go, he's going to end up being in a band, he's going to be really famous. And Gordon Feeney, because his dad bought him a premier kit, he could play all the ELP stuff. He was a big prog fan and moved on to it. Gordon actually auditioned for Marillion on the second drumming editions after uh, Andy Ward, I think it was. And then before Jonathan Mover came in and the, the band did like it. And I don't think Gordon was into the music either. But Gordon, Feeney, was the, the, the drummer who was going to be. And he was also a, a big Genesis fan, Gabriel he was. We were in school together. He was one of my friends at school. We used to, always used to go parties up at his house. And he lived in Juton, which is where my mum comes from. And, uh, but anyway, I'm walking out the Gabriel gig at the audience. And there's Gordon. And Gordon comes up to me and goes, Do you still want to be a singer? Right? And I'd always I had this kind of entertain, entertain this dream of I want to be a singer in a band. And, you know, but, you know, nothing ever happened. And he said, Do you still want to be a singer in a band? And I went, Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. I, 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 he said, Well, he said, uh, We've got a band called Not Quite Red Fox. And um, we want, we're looking for a singer. Right? And I went, Oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And it was like, and I'm going, woof. And suddenly there was a door. Right, there was a a real door, and uh, you know, and it was like I could become a singer in a band. It was suddenly like, ooh, whoa, and I got, you know, hearts racing. I was go, and I went. I don't know why I did it, but I went back. I went round to the backstage area, of the audience, to the door, and I knocked on the door and I said, "Hello, uh, I'm a German journalist. I was supposed to have an interview with Peter before the show, but uh, my plane was late, and uh, I've seen the show. But you know, I'd like to be able to say hello to Peter now." And the guy goes, "Yeah, come on in. No pass, nothing." Right, no pass. Just walked straight into the back and went, bam. There was Peter Gabriel, and he's like, and it was a wee guy, right? Well, small, smaller than me, right? <laughs> and I went, and I went, hi Peter. I said, uh, I really liked what you're doing. I said it's really different, really love it. And he went, thank you very much. You know, like, and really shy, very shy guy, and, and like you know, please me, meet you. Said, yeah, thank you very much. It's really nice. And I went, that's cool. And he autographed the back of my ticket. I got him to autograph the back of my ticket. And I've still got that ticket. And it's through in the um it's it's through in the, the framed ticket stubs that I keep in the bathroom. And uh, but the the autographs on the back of the, 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 the stub. But that was how that's the first time I got P Games autograph. And I came out and I was I was flying, you know. And um anyway, I think it was about a week later I had to go to uh it was at the Traverse, it was down in the the, the bottom of the Royal Mile. It was the, the, the there was a small theatre there. And um, I went in there to audition for Not Quite Red Fox. And um, and I went in and there was like, you know, a couple of the band's girlfriends and stuff and they were all set on the stage and I'd never seen this before. It was incredible, like, wow, you know. And, uh, you know, I'd never been this close to like, you know, a band and a stage and stuff. And they were playing really kind of complicated stuff. It was kind of, it was kind of gentle giant kind of vibe crossed with kind of complex Genesis stuff. And it was all, it was prog, you know? And they had a guy, the guy who was playing bass was called George and he had kind of gingery hair. He was a bit older, with a wee beard and stuff. And seemingly he wanted to be the singer, but the band didn't want him to become the singer because they wanted him to carry on playing bass. And they wanted to bring, a, bring in another singer. And uh, the keyboard player was called Steve, and it was Gordon Finney on drums, and I can't remember the rest of the guys. But um, so they they played this thing, and then they gave me a bunch of lyrics and they said we got them sing, and I went yeah. And I'd never sung at a microphone before, never been in front of a microphone before. And I woke up, and I was standing about that much away from the microphone. Kind of what I do now when I hit the big notes. You're know, like ah, <laughs> you know, big note coming up, don't do want to go for it and screw it up. You go. Oh, ah! and i was standing that far away from the microphone in the center stage and they started playing this stuff and i was singing bits and pieces i wasn't that great to be honest and i was really nervous and i sung with them for about 30 40 minutes and all went away in a huddle and came back and went away in another huddle and came back and i sung a wee bit more and uh and then i got the uh thanks for coming along for the audition but uh Um, we we decided to let it go and you know but you know if you want to hang around be a roadie (laughs) so I went up and I roadied for them at at one gig up in Aberdeen they played Aberdeen University and I went up there with my my girlfriend Leslie at the time and I handed I handed an acoustic guitar across that was my roadie's job loaded the equipment in and then I had to hand the guitar over to to George to play right and that was it and I was kind of and it was, it was, I was a bit pissed off, to be honest. And I, But it started, the seed was there now, you know. And I remember, I, and Leslie was was very, um, uh, she was hugely supportive. And she said, oh, you've got a great voice, you really need to sing, and blah, blah, blah. And, um, right. And I remember singing in a car, you know, driving down to Gallowshields, and I'd sing over the cassette. And she she's going, oh, you've got to sing, you've got to sing. And um, it was like... Okay, how am I going to do this? I need to find a band, right? And where and Red Fox was kind of like, you know, go away and get some more experience and we'll get back to you, right? And uh, so I went, okay. And I went down to Gala Shields and I asked around and I said, who do you talk to about being, about joining a band? Who do, where do all the musicians hang out? And they said, they hang out at the Golden Lion, right? Which was a pub on the corner just on the, on the main K-87, just as you're heading out of gala, and, uh, on the Edinburgh side. And um, they said, go down to the Golden Lion and ask for a guy called Dottle. Right? And his real name's Donald, Donald Little, but he called, he was Dottle. Right? So I went okay, so I mean, I've got no idea, I mean, this was the story of my entire life in, in the, the, the early 80s, we'd get involved in the music business. And it was, um, so I went down and I walked into the bar, ordered a pint, and the Golden Line had this this really shitty bar because it used to be a bank, right? So because it was a bank, it had a sloping counter so that when people were given the coins and stuff by the bank teller, they kind of rolled down there or they could move down the slope, which is great for a bank. Shit idea for a pub, right? Because every time you put the pint on, if the pint was too full, it would—it was at a slight angle, and so the they it was like a little waterfall on a Friday night. It was like a little waterfall all over in the bar, right? But anyway, I'm standing there with a little waterfall and a sloppy beer, and I turned around to this guy next to me and I said, uh, "Um, uh, I'm uh, my name's Derek, right? It was Derek then, right?" And I said, uh, I'm, my name's Derek, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking for a gig. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a guy called Dottle. I'm looking for a gig because I'm a singer and I'm looking for a band. And the guy turns around and he goes, I'm Doll." And I just, I just walked in this pub and I was talking to the very guy that said to me, and I said, I'm looking for a job as a singer. Do you know any bands that are looking for singers? He said, I'm in a band and we're looking for a singer. Come up in the audition on Thursday. And I was like, woof. And I was it. And I went up to the small cottage, on the, on, again on the Edinburgh side, on the A7. It was away up in the hills. And I met up with these guys. And they were like, one was a farmer and a daughter was a photographer. And there was a guy called Frank Usher, who was a guitarist. And um, I went in. And I, did, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing at all. And they said, uh, what, do you to, what do you want to sing? And I said, I said well, what well, we could do? I know what I like in your wardrobe or something. They says, "Yeah, we don't have a keyboard player. Maybe you've not noticed. Right, and I went all right, and I said uh, all right now, and then they launched an all right now, and I sung all right now, and that was the song that I auditioned for Blue on, and I passed the audition, and then we sang around a load of other stuff. They gave me loads of lyric sheets and things, and then um, they basically gave me a tape, and said learn all this uh, because we're going to be doing a gig uh, the next Thursday night at the Golden Line, and it was like okay, right, so basically. I kind of learned all these songs. I think we had one more, I think we had one more edition. When I, and I wasn't singing the full set because there was, Dottle was singing and then there was a couple of other guys That's Andy Glendin, I think his name was, he played bass. And, um, and uh, I was shitting it, right? I mean, I'd never sung in front of a crowd before in my life. I mean, the last time was when I was a kid in the choir at Kings Park Primary School. And, um, and I'm doing a gig at the Gold Lannigan Shields, and I was like, "Oh And this was about, I think it was about May 1980, and that was that was the first gig I did. And I wore all white because I thought that's what singers wore, so I had white flared jeans on, really, a white cotton hemp shirt, and a scarf. <laughs> so, and I turn up, they say, "Be down there. We'll be we'll be loading in about kind of seven o'clock or so." I went in the pub at half past five, right? And I'm going to, and the adrenaline's through my veins, and I'm pinting pint of McEwan's. And then it was like a pint of McEwan's and a nip, right? A pint of McEwan's. I had about four pints, five pints before the band showed up, right? And I only had to sing about four songs. Walk On By, I think was one of them, but it was the high falsetto version that um, um, uh, Dionne Warwick did. I did Night By Night Steely Dan. Night by night. I did a Rykudo song. I can't remember which one it was. Um, I did. It was all kind of really old stuff, and I didn't really know the artists. You know, I was like, "Who's Rykudo?" You know, and it was like, "This is his song. Sing it." And it was like, "Wow." And then, of course, we did all all right now. And I'm trying to think what else we did. Can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, I did this gig, but of course, I'm, and I'm drinking during the gig because every time the other singer was doing it, I was standing there at the side of the stage because they wouldn't let me have a tambourine because my timing was shit. That's another story. But it's, um, so I was drinking. And then we did the thing, finished the gig, everybody's like, and I'm steaming, right? <laughs> and it was like, as soon as it finished, well, thank you very much, everybody. And I realised I was going to throw up and I went, I ran through to the toilet in the Golden Line and threw up all over the wall at the urinals, right? Because I was just, the adrenaline and alcohol mix just absolutely done for me. And, um, and that was the Golden Line. of my first ever gig in Gal Shields. And I played it about, uh, I think we did about another, maybe another 10 shows there. And it was like, you know, it was Thursday night show up and then I got more and more songs in the set and I got more and more confident. After the first night, it was, uh, and I've, I've said this before in a previous FOF, was um, after the, the gig, it's like the, the band d- like, was like, oh, I better give it a, <laughs> I'll just let him go. <laughs> Did he want, it? Nah, nah, I'll just let him go. And Frank Usher stood up for me and Frank said, boy's got something. And uh, and that's how I carried on singing with Blue, it, and then eventually jumped off. You know, at the end of that year, after playing my last gig with him, which was supporting Alexis Corner and Colin Hodgkinson, for which I've, I've still got a framed poster from that gig. And um, that was my last show, and it was actually mentioned in the in the um, the Southern Reporter, which was the local newspaper that I was you know, that was it, we got, we got a really good review and I was leaving to go to join another band and stuff. And um, I was leaving to go down south, at the time it wasn't Marillion. I still had to go through Cambridge and Ettrick shows and stuff, but that was me with the Golden Lion. And, uh, and like I said, I've heard, you know, it's, it was actually a guy that came to fix my fridge last week was talking was telling me all about what had happened to the Golden Line because he's a big live music fan. And then Gala Shields, Gala Shields, as a little pit, if you ever go there, if you ever get a chance to move about again <laughs> visit other towns, it's uh, Gala Shields is where the, um, because my girlfriend Leslie was at the College of Textiles, the lyric on um, Kayleigh, which is dancing in stilettos in the snow, came from the college dance and uh, Dez- it would be December, it'd be probably December 19, uh it would be 79, it would have been and um, that was Dancing to in the Snow on Cayley and for that I've actually got um, some of the lyrics of Cayley are actually um, um, carved in stone in in a cold cobbled area in the centre of Gala Shields which I was really proud of and I was invited down to basically open it all up but that is my history with Gala Shields and the Borders it was College of Textiles and Marillion played the College of Textiles in... uh, I think it was March 1982 on the Scottish tour and we played to about 60 people in, in the College of Texas. It was in a great big hall and, um, and uh, I have to have been back there since myself. But that was, that's Gala Shields. Uh Rob Schofi- Schofield, McEwin's Red cans with Busketeers on the old school Scotchy. Well... Guy Smith, little sister, it was little sister. Don't you please, please me, and little sister. Well done, guy. <laughs> You'll no quarrel, booze and vocals. I all well. We've all done it. Yeah, you know? the worst one I ever did. The worst. I think I, I don't know if I've told you about this one, but we did. Um, uh, we did a gig of France on, on on Beaujolais Day. And long story very short, there was a guy for the sounds came out. I was told he was a massive Trivial Pursuit fan. I was kind of set up with him as being one of the guys that was best at Trivial Pursuit in the band, and we played all day and drank lots of wine. And I completely forgot there was a gig that night. I mean, completely forgot there was a gig that night. Went out for um, for the band dinner after the sound check that I didn't do because I was too busy playing Trivial Pursuit and drinking bocceley. And then um, I went in at the gig before before showtime, and I'm trying to put the makeup on my face, and it was like. Oh, and I was steaming. And it was the most drunk I can ever remember, ever remember being on a stage. And I went out and the, the, the gig was, I don't know when it was, it might have been Nancy or somewhere like that. And uh, we used to have a kabuki drop and a kabuki drop was like a huge curtain in front of the stage. And it went, it, we had the um, gazellar. And then what happened was, there was pins were taken out and the whole curtain just fell to the floor. That's called a kabuki drop, right? So we had a kabuki drop, and so when I'm out there and I managed to get up to the microphone and I'm standing at the microphone and I can hardly stand up, right? And I was like going, I was like, whoa, whoa. I'm going like, it's like where's where's, where's the adrenaline in it now? And I did Kabuki drop went bam, and the singer went doof, and I fell over. And I ended up singing a load of the gig while lying on my back. But it was like it was France, you <laughs> know. I always remember people are going, jim Morrison, jim Morrison. I don't think I'm a bit like Jim Morrison, but seemingly he used to get completely pissed and do exactly the same thing. So that was it, and I never ever got that drunk on a stage ever again. It was like a really horrific experience. But Golden Lion, da 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 Nancy, here we go. Simon Reeves, War, Lexus Corner and, and Bomber. Yeah. It was a uh, it was great, and uh, I got Alexis Corner's autograph, and we, we talked after the gig with him and Colin Hodgkinson. And uh, Alexis Corner, for those of you who don't know, is one of the greatest blues guys. He was one of the, he was right in the formative period when blues first came across. He was one of the, 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 the front leaders of the entire British blues music scene. And, um and what a voice he had! What a gravelly voice! And I tried to see him when I was down in London. He gave me he, he gave me a number. So we didn't have emails in those days. He gave me a number, and it was like, and I never got through. It. I never I never saw him again after that gig, and it was a real shame. Uh, but Colin Hodgkinson, you know, he was uh, he was a bass player, played on Neil Sean, Jan Hammer album. Thank you, John motors it's, um yeah, but yeah. Christian Drusen, did you get your cooker fixed? No, I've not had my quaker fixed yet. Um, I've had to get a guy out. It's, uh, so it's 150 quid, phoning up Holland to get a guy to come out. And I said, uh, I said to the bloke who was arranging the visit, I said, where does the guy come from? This, where does this guy, is he coming up from England or something? He says, no, he comes from the same postcode as you. Well, so
1: it's
0: 150 quid for a guy to come up from of Huntington to fix my cooker. But seemingly, I'm going to get a new tap, which I'm really glad about. Because this thing does, I don't know if you know, cooker The reason we got a was because I had a huge boiler. Because this is a studio, we had this huge boiler that dealt with the hot water. And we switched to electric in the, the back of the studio when we got the, the bedroom sorted out. And this big boiler was dealing with a hot water tap through there. And uh, so we decided to get a uh But now the cooker is um, spurting boiling water all over the place. And I uh, got a little bit scalded the other day, so... I figured, like, you know, we better get somebody out. So, phone up somebody from Holland, phones up somebody from England, phones up somebody from Scotland that comes up here, and you get charged 150 quid. But at least I'm going to get a new tap, which means we might get it working again. So, I like them. I like the I cookers, like but it's just, like, it's the same... You know, it's like, like my mum did at Lady Jane. She had a washing machine, she had a tumble dryer. She, she—they got it when mum and dad got married, and it was still working. Now you're lucky if you get four years out of damn thing. It's just all this bu- built-in kind of obsolescence shit, right? Oh, uh, Kevin Bremner. Yes, it is a Waterboys album. That's the thing, isn't it? It's like <laughs> you do that because everybody's doing interviews from home. It's like you know you start looking at you know what's the book because you know, they've, they've always got a book collection behind them. I think they must move books about going. I don't know. But you always end up... You're going, what's the guy reading? What's that in his collection? You know, I suppose you did the same thing with that then. You know, this is the albums. I should turn around and let you have a look at my book someday. Oh! Well, i am there? I didn't touch it. Ah. Oh. Ah, oh, Dave Stewart, go away, mate. Um... Oh, Julie Cockerell got a demo cassette of yours from a mate who worked at EMI. Saw it at Hamilton with OD in the same year. Well, Sabine Bridal Simona, she's through there. She's dealing with computer stuff at the moment, but she will be through. Uh, Lauren Bower, hello from France. Hayley Schnooks, Nooks, Thieving Magpie. Steve Bizet, have you watched David Attenborough on Netflix? Brilliant but scary, the state of the planet. No. Um, Somebody was telling me about this other day and said that you've got to watch it. Um, And I guess that's going to be on my watch list. I've I've been told it's very scary. And it's somebody that's, you know, got the knowledge, has the experience and is able to go out and just see exactly how it is, which is like brilliant. John Timmon, brilliant story. Was that about the time you met Nick Barrett? Nick Barrett I didn't meet until 1982. Little Crips Love and the Family, Stephen Bryant. Stuart Smallman, I'd go away. I keep some jumping and stuff. Uh, Victoria Artonica Hall Barry Kitchen. Val Gamble, do you remember playing the Vicky Nock and Dinny? Always the line. View". Yeah. Yeah, I remember the Dinny gig. I did that where... That was late, though. That was the... Vick and Echo Dinny That was... Um, I went down and sung with Blue at the end when I was I was actually in Marillion then. And I, I was up here for the weekend and they were doing a gig and I went up and did a couple of songs, songs with them. Quokka. Um, <coughs> Robert Olsen, Quokka. It's the tap thing where you get... You turn the... You nozzle, you press down, you get boiling water out it. Uh, Lee Berry, I remember Alex Corner having a blue show on Radio One on a Sunday at seven. Yeah, I remember. I used to listen to that that blue show. He was a really knowledgeable guy. I mean, very knowledgeable, and a lovely bloke. Edward Martin, do you still have the vigil two leather jacket? No. Hmm. The cow, the, the cow that was the jacket is gone. I don't know who got it. Um, I think it was a big guy down in in Wales, but off me. That was in. In the 1990s, when we were of, I was really strapped. I mean, I was really... Oh, we're having trouble playing this video. Go away.
1: Oh, fucking
0: tech. Come on, I um, mean, are you back? Am I back? Are you back? Oh, some of the broadband issues we've had around the house in the last couple of days. Come on. So. Oh, go away! Uh Ah. Where have. David Moy, where have you played in Bicester? Red Lion, that was the first gig with Marillion. March. March ninety one, I think it was. Uh Tyneside, is it still your favourite pub till now, Sabine, being British? I've not been doing the Tyneside for months. We don't go out. It's like, you know, we actually don't go out. I mean, as I said, I mean it was like someone and I's our anniversary the other day and it was like, you know, couldn't go anywhere. There's nothing open. And um and with the pubs being shut now, it's just like it's weird, isn't it? It's like, you know, Pubs are closed, and suddenly it's like... If there's aliens, like, you're tapping into it, it's like, they'll be going, what are these pubs? Why is this emergency? The pubs, the pubs are open, the pubs are closed, the pubs are only open till 10. It's the wind of our entire life revolving bloody pubs. Right? Well, I understand, like, for a lot of people, it is a social interaction, it is a, a circle of friends. I completely understand the pub thing you know i am you know i have been and i'm still i'm a pub person but you know taking the tyneside side out of my life and i feel for paul kinnock who's got the tyneside, and i feel for all the guys that are trying to you know operate and, and earn a living at this time but i mean it's you know it is a dilemma it's like you know the circuit breakers and all the rest of it it's uh i don't want to go there just now i'll go there later uh, uh, Yeah, Gary Alan, Marlton, do you remember playing Carnglaze Caves in Liskiard 2-5, having to walk through the crowd to get to the stage? I loved the Carnglaze Caves gig. What I hated was my voice was screwed up. I had it. Funnily enough, I had a, 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 it was during that time I got a really bad um, chest infection, which was not helped. I remember being in, because it was weird, because the dressing room was the, this little building, little bungalow that was at the, the, f- the front of the caves. And I remember being in there and trying to get trying to get myself together. And it was a difficult gig to play because of the acoustics. It was lovely acoustics, but it was difficult to get your head round kind of where it was at. And it, there wasn't a big crowd there by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed the gig. The place, I would love to go back to the place because, you know, going down with the water deep in the cave, it was just beautiful. Uh... uh Jim Hedro, furloughed? No, I'm not furloughed, because I'm a director of a company. Uh, I don't get any money off the government. I pay the government. I paid all my VAT, I paid all my tax, everything. It's all sorted out. But I don't get any money. Neither none of us get anything. Any help off the government? And to be honest, we don't need it. If you're I don't I don't see the point. You know, just asking the government for money. I don't need it. You know, it's kind of we're able to survive. We've got the mail order. I don't need to take money that could go somewhere else. You know, so I don't even ask. You know. It's, um... Lee Savile, Hi Fish, would you consider recording bonus tracks from Clutching at Straws like Tic-Tac-Toe as an EP with Current Band and Produce, no I, I don't want to go back there, I don't want to record anymore you know, it's like uh, um... no, I don't no, I'm not interested in going back on that stuff You know, Hi Fish, Whoa, who is the guy in the picture behind you? it's me that was a, a uh, it was an acrylic painting that was done by Mark Wilkinson during the Field of Crows um, time, and it's one of my favourites. Um. <laughs> Peter Zelstra, I see the cooker behind you. Light problems? Yeah. You, oh yeah, you can. There it is, back there. It's back in. Back there in the black bit. Yeah, first of all, problems. You know what I mean? Ray Rooks, yeah, it's really sad about the businesses, and, you know, and it was one of the things, you know, I was very aware that by cancelling this, the, the the shows in February, that, you know, there's venues and house crews and stuff that won't be working as well, and, um, but, you know, I spoke to Mark Shaw at, at, at Gig Cartel, and he was great, I mean, we knew last week, but we just wanted to clear it with the venues to make sure that people could get their money back, because I said, look, I think it would be a really good idea if the People that have got tickets that are still holding for February can get the money back before Christmas because we don't know what's where this is going to go in the next the next month or so. So let's just clear it, clear the decks, clear the decks. Uh, uh. Jim Hedra, Brickmakers in Norwich is reopening. The, they have perspex wall separating staging crowd just like the, ban- <laughs> the band, like the band the issue. Do, huh? do you want to come and say hello? Hello. It's the wife. One's do an amazing job. How's things through there? Huh? How's things? Um. <laughs> I tell. I I check the guarded the guarded moment.
1: Hello.
0: <laughs> it's me wife, Simona. It's our, our anniversary on. Yeah. When was it? Wednesday. Wednesday. Tuesday. Wednesday. Fish day. Yes, fish day is Wednesday. Oh, no. no. And it's your birthday on Monday. And um, we're going to be going absolutely bloody nowhere again.
1: Wednesdays, Mondays,
0: Wednesdays.
1: Yeah.
0: So. Well, uh, I was just saying, you've done a brilliant job getting everyone out. So, how do you feel now that the pre-orders are all done, going?
1: Oh, a lot better. A lot better. I kept dreaming of orders and things and names and emails and no, happy now.
0: <laughs> it's been and it's for ten thousand.
1: No more. And each each order mostly contains three parcels, so we've dealt with probably it's thirty thousand parcels. Nah, <laughs> so I can show you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's been nuts. it's been absolutely nuts. But yeah. I mean, that's how we choose to do it. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting bored with this now. We can have... We could have... Prosecco, Prosecco. yeah. We're a Prosecco. We'll have a bottle of Prosecco. Okay. Yeah. This is like... Oh, it's, f- it's like these Fridays. I mean, now we're kind of getting to this point. It's like, oh, fuck. You know? Yeah. Five past seven. Can virtuals be ordered with other stuff now? Yes. You can order virtualments with other stuff now. Easy. Uh. Owen Boyle, sorry you're late. You better have a letter from your mother. Bladed, hello from Bergen Vass. Paul Devlin, I may see you in the bend, but oh, I've got to go down because it's moving up too fast. Mm. Gary Dixon, tonight from Pennycook. Recall a story about you looking for Bowie to play in five years with you when he was in the Lothian area. I am dreaming <coughs> that. No, that's an actual true story. A lot of people don't know. But uh, David Bowie accompli- was a very accomplished saxophonist and we were working on Songs for the Mirror at the time with James Cassidy and there was a rumour went about, as you know the jungle drums work in your locality, and the rumour was that David Bowie was up in Edinburgh and he'd been up for the festival and somebody had said, that they'd seen him in an art gallery down in, I think it was Seaton or Preston Pans. And we'd go like, nah, nah. And it was true and it was, it was corroborated. And somebody had actually seen David Bowie and his wife in a gallery, in, a, in an art gallery. And he was known for going about art galleries, picking up stuff and, you know, going about. And, and we tried to contact him and we were on the phone in the afternoon. Thank you, darling. We were on the phone and to the trying to get his agent in, in, in new york and if, for about two hours we're trying to find a way to get to david bowie so like you know to find out if somebody could contact him in pressing pans we were going to get out and go out in a car and we thought of actually driving around to find him because we thought it would be absolutely brilliant if we could get david bowie to play do a saxophone solo at the end of five years it would be perfect and we missed it but you weren't dreaming that it was an actual, an actual, true story but we did try and find them. We did get through to the New York office and said, David would not be interested in doing that. You know? So, anyway, there we go. Uh, David Dunmey, thank you. Oh, go away. A lot of people saying hi to Yeah, David Scott. Yeah, the refund approach was the right thing to do. So, so you know, I don't think, you know, I think, it, like I said, it annoys me that, you know, we all know that things aren't happening. So can, somebody, can people just start putting their hands up and go, well, it's not happening. There's the money back for your tickets. We're not going to sit on it anymore. You know, that's what we want to do. Slaugia. Right. Let's move on to it. Um, as you know, I put the, the song... I put the song for... Uh, up The Five Songs Up. And I was amazed. And... This one won it by quite a long stretch, and I find it interesting and the song that's been chosen, the song that's been chosen by you is the great unraveling and uh it's a, a very strange song I, I said before about yeah, welcome a Far it's um. I got the the idea that it was the phrase that kind of came in first and great unravelling, you know, and it was, uh, and it was about things falling apart. The original idea on Feast of Consequences was that it was going to be a song about kind of things falling apart and it kind of took its own shape and it kind of led itself and it kind of, it freaked me out and I, I found it very difficult I found it very difficult to listen to for a while, and um, and because it, it, it preempted, it preempted a lot of things that happened, and um, it started to when it started to come together. I wanted to write about family falling apart and things, and then it suddenly took on this uh, another dimension, which was it was basically DNA. That was the kind of. Thing about it, it was about it was about family and DNA and about a, everything's continually unraveling and continually coming together. You know this great big helix thing, and um, and it became I, I suddenly started writing about my mom and dad at that time, and I think it's something to do with the fact that during the Feast of Consequences album, I was doing a lot of kind of research about you know the World War One which meant going into my, my grandfather both my grandfathers right and um, I was just on last week because I'm I'm trying to go on to, you know the repair shop on BBC I've got a little bear I'll come, maybe show you later on but I've got a little bear that doesn't work and this little bear was given to me by my paternal grandfather who's William Dick and he died when I was two right? My maternal grandfather, William Patterson, was the soldier in World War I. Uh, William Dick was RFC, but William Dick was 8th Battalion, Royal Scots. And William Dick was, oh, sorry, William Patterson, my mother's father, William Patterson. William Patterson was a coal miner, and he was, I said, um, last week when I was talking about uh, Highwood, he was a man. He was a miner and up in Ormiston Pit, and which is up just across there and Jurton where I was about Gordon Feeney, the drummer. That was where they had. My my mum lived where, where my dad. My my mother's mother, my grandmother, I never met. She died when my mother was yeah, in her teens, and um, so my mum had to. She became. She looked after my granddad and you know, when he was a miner, he came back on shift work. He was always on night shifts and she'd cook for him and stuff. And it was, it was, the days back then, it was all kind of, you know, you had your bath in a big tub in the middle of the floor in front of the fire. And it was all filled with hot water that was taken off the cauldrons from above the, the coal fires and things. And um, I mean, there's a lot of stories in there. But, I mean, um, but my, my grandfather, William Patterson, uh, got pneumonocosis. He was absolutely screwed over by the NCB, the National Board. Coborg took him years to get uh, um to get compensation and, and he lived with us and uh and down in Dalkeith then in Landfinding Glebe Street in the house and he had the he had the room. Landfinding Glebe Street originally it was one big house, it was split into two flats, and my mum and dad when they got married were given the top part of the house and my 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 uh, William Dick lived in the bottom, right? When they passed away, when they died, my mum and dad inherited the whole house, and William Patterson um, stayed between my my uncle and aunt, who were in Preston in Lancashire, and up in Dalkeith at Gweed Street. And William Patterson had moved in permanently into the uh, the room downstairs, and it was it was Granddad's room, and um. And he used to, he, he was a terrible, his breathing was awful, as you can imagine, pneumonicosis. It's a horrible disease. I know a, a singer, a friend of mine that, that, that's, that's got it, and it is is—it's horrible. And uh, you could hear him wheezing all the time, and he, he always smoked, Capstan, full strength, he smoked. And, um, and embassies, he used to send me up, he used to shout at me, I had to go up the street to get cigarettes, because my mum wouldn't let him smoke, but used to give me a tip. So I could buy toy effing soldiers and things, and he'd say, son, go and get go and get me a pack of full strength." On you go, and I'd go up and buy full strength. Like nobody bothered about a kid going up and buying caps and full strength, you know. And uh, I used to bring him back cigarettes. I used to sit with him sometimes, and he used to, you know, but he was a he was a he was lovely, but he was a grumpy old man. Could be really kind of um, he had a, a, a nasty side to him sometimes. And I say this, and, you know, we're all due respect with him. But it was, uh, and um, he was my granddad, you know? And we always knew he was ill, and, you know, he got worse as he, as he got older. And uh, when I was about 12 year old, which was, what, 1970, um, he passed away, right? And the really weird thing was, that it was the first person that I ever knew that had died you know that actually kind of there. My my actually came up to me, and she talked to me that night. And this is why this gets a bit kind of weird, right? Because the song "Great Unraveling" was all about family. It was all about family passing away and being born, and about this, you know, the, the kind of circular of life vibe, right? And um. And I remember that night when my mum came up to to my room. I had, a, I had a little room, a little single bed upstairs in the, in the house. And uh, she came up and she woke me up. It must have been about two or three in the morning or something. And she said, "It's uh, just to let you know. I have to tell you, it's, it's, your granddad's passed away. Your granddad's died." And I was like, "It was just a shock. It was like I couldn't really take it on board." You know, as 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 a kid, you know, I wasn't even a teenager, and it was like trying to assimilate all that information and and I understand. You know, come put all the emotions in and being. As I know I'm now, you know, dealing with it. Wall went up, and uh, and my mum was obviously in tears, and uh, and she told me what happened. She said that uh, she was with her dad all the way up to the end, and my dad was lying in bed, and he said, "It's all right, Isa. Blah blah blah. It's okay. You know, I, I'm going now. I can feel going now." And he says, you know, can you see, can you see the light in the room? And my mum was going, what light, Grant? What light, Dad? She says, There's a light up in the corner room. She said, yeah, that, that's, I'm going up to the light now. Right? And I never thought anything, you know, that must have sat in residual memory for like so long. And then I started to write, I wrote Great Unraveling. And, and I didn't realise this until a, about a year after we'd, we'd written and recorded it. And I listened back to it and it suddenly hit me. That, you know, my granddad was there on Highwood, right? And his entire kind of person was wrapped up in the whole Highwood experience. I mean, it was, it was, I, mean I remet and revisited and, and got to know my granddad from a completely different way, you know, during the writing of Highwood. And the great unraveling finished the album. And then if you listen to the lyric and the bit at the end, and it is, it's, it's about death. And and I hadn't realised I'd tapped into that thing, that incident that happened way back in 1970 and pulled it out. And I didn't even know I'd pulled it out, right? And it was... Uh, and it just all made kind of sense. But this is what it's about. It's about family. It's about... I mean, Liz Antwi came up and did the vocals, the, the answering vocals. Oh, I was so... I mean, she was, she was crying when she was actually singing it. And there was a couple of people that were involved in it were, were really hit. And I found it a very, very difficult song to sing, you know, and there, there, there was a, when we we did take it eventually out in the tour, I loved it and I love, I mean, the solo and everything at the end, it's just, Robin's solo is absolutely beautiful. But um it's uh but I mean, this is what it's about. This is the great unravelling is about, it's about life and death and family and growing old. And I didn't realise how much at that time, that I was kind of preempting what was going to happen to me in the next three years with my father dying because it's all about ascension, it's all about ascension. Right? So, without further ado, if I can get this together and find a bit, I shall turn you around so that you can get a wee glimpse of the fire. Just catch the fire over there just to give it a little bit of atmosphere. in the remote? Oh. One remote. System safe to stun. Oh come on! My new heat is working brilliant. Oh, come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! Nope. Great unraveling from the album Feast of Consequences. You probably noticed smacked me there <clears throat> it's funny how songs can really kind of yeah I don't know how, I, normally i would have listened to that this afternoon and I prepped myself but i didn't so that was the first time we heard that for a wee while it's one of your favorites in it darren yeah yes. but yeah so Yes, it did the song took on a completely you know well, you know, when I sung it, I didn't you know, when I wrote it I didn't really think about what I was I was writing. It was a complete stream of consciousness and stuff. And then when I heard the end bit and then uh Yeah, when it moved into two thousand sixteen that was it was like oh yeah fucker. And uh and you kind of realise that you're the next one So It's a very relevant song. But yeah, a lot of people didn't know what that was about, but it is just about family and death and the eternal circle of life and the children that you have and you move on and you let go and stuff. That's what it's all about. But the thing was, when my granddad died, I went up to the funeral. He's still buried up at um, uh, the cemetery up at Jilton. And... uh. And suddenly, the room was freed up downstairs. And as a teenager, I was moved down to my granddad's room, which was kind of strange for the first kind of month or so. But, um... Oh, go away. It was really strange for the first month, because it was aware, you know, somebody died in that place and things. But it was... um uh, But it became my my teenage den. And that was where... That was my teenage den. And that was where my ITT stereo went up. And that's where the walls had the Tales from Topographic Oceans poster. It had the Yes Songs posters. And I used to to nick stuff for gigs all the time. And uh, it was, you know, back in the days, when I was going to gigs in the 1970s, Yes had they had a little flight case and they sold they had like two t-shirts or whatever and the t-shirts were all sold out but I bought a poster and the poster that I bought at the Yes gig on the real Air tour is the one that's through in the bathroom with the tickets on it but what I noticed was that the record companies were always putting up kind of adverts for the, the albums you know, in the foyer of the gigs so we used to go for them <laughs> <laughs> we used to go for them when the gig emptied it was like Whoa! I mean grab the, the the posters and stuff and then the record company displays and I had a really nice Moon Madness one from Camel and it was a big bit of cardboard and what it, what it was was it was a flat bit of cardboard with a, 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 a clear plastic cover on it and you bent the bent it into like a, 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 a curved frame and the plastic went across it and I had the Moon Madness Camel and I had that and I had PFM Chocolate Kings I had the big poster I nicked out of the uh, Leith Theatre with that. And my bedroom was all full of um, music posters and stuff, and but a lot of things that are that, that nicked for gigs. In fact, the PFM one, I actually had a big cardboard thing. And I remember we came out of the, <laughs> the theatre in Leith and I was driving a Mini and we had to put it on the roof. It was Luckily it was a gig in the summer. And we had to put this thing on the roof and the guys had their hands out on top of the roof holding this thing down because we couldn't get it in the car. And it was a great big chocolate bar with a, with a a big chocolate bar with stars and stripes in it. And it was the record company display from for PFM. Hi Frank if you're watching. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was the room. That was where, you know, we used to like, you know, drink our new key brown and smoke to our fish joints and stuff like that, you know, when we were all kids and listened to Van der Graaff and Genesis. And that was your sure 8 track was, but that's a whole new other thing. Oh, Tim Sycamore is that what's for tea, Simona? Uh, oh, good time, bring the bottle, through. Bottle. <laughs> Fish and Friday. Because you're all going to be back in, in, in houses again, the same as us. It's like, you know, Liam had to, to deal with the fact that, like, you know, the cabin mice can't come back up. So, what's, what's for dinner tonight, what's Simona? What's
1: for dinner? Hake, saute- sauteed, <laughs> what's it called? Sotted hake,
0: hake and potatoes and peas. Very yep. easy and good. I've got to just prove myself. Uh, yeah, so it's, um, that's tonight then. Hake, Because we got the fish van comes around on a Wednesday morning, you know, eh, eh, and then I've got to get up and pretend that I've been up for hours <laughs> and uh, and go out and get the stuff. It's good though. Mm-hmm. We had scallops, I said, the other day, which I love. Yeah. It's great when you live next to the coast. We've got some great fish places around about here, where you can, you know, great fish mongers. They're all saying hello. Yeah, that's nice. Tusa de from Mexico. Hello, Sean will Do a fish curry. We've not done a fish curry, have we? No. Oh, she's got a great book from Angela, her friend, and it's Lebanese. Lebanese yeah. cooking. Yeah. Nice. No. Yeah. Oh, a couple of things I've got to say. Um, I've got to say... uh, This is from Fiona and Kel Myhill. They set us up this. It's really cute. It's a little Scottish thing. I'm taking it. This is for a Christmas tree. It must be. So this will be on our Christmas tree this year. So thank you very much for that. So... It says the tartan is the closest yeah it's really close it's a very close tartan and it's great but it's a nice wee Christmas tree thing it's nice of a wee Scottish thing for the Christmas tree and uh so thank you very much Fiona and Kel and I've also got to say thanks for to Kate Daryl and Kaylee. right this it's a ting and they've, they've called it uh what was it it's called Burp Sprout, they've got da da da, and this is called Belch Mash. Belch, <laughs> mash. belch mash. No, Belch Mash, Belch Mash. Uh-huh. So, this is Belch Mash. So, this gets through in someone's office. So, it's um, a lot of ones for Christmas tree, but please don't send any more cuddly toys. We really don't need them.
1: This is, thank you, Carty and Julio.
0: Mushrooms. That's my favorite. Not magical. Mushrooms. What no, ones are those ones? mushrooms, steinpilze, mm. yeah. But well, thanks Kate, keeping on Kelly's keelies well for the thing, you know. It's a bit, you know, oh, had some lovely cards as well. You want, there's the cards here darling? Yeah. yeah, yeah, thanks for that. It's just, it's nice. I mean, people have been asking me, well, like, why don't you sell at retail and things? And, uh, and, um, I don't, I don't want to. You know, I, I, I'm quite happy doing it while we're doing it.
1: But I don't want that everybody thinks now, oh, they got sent card
0: by somebody, so I have to do the same. No. no really not. It's, it's, it's nice. Uh, the fact that you're there is brilliant, yeah. you know. That's uh, Simon Jacks. who you, you got, thank you, from Sheffield. Thank you. And a lovely message. Oh, another card uh, from Trevor in Oldham. Uh, thank you. And then I think this one was one, one for the week four. Julie here. Thank you again. It's nice, it's, you know, like this. and Nick Hazelwood, we did Nick before, but again Nick, thank you. It's, it's just really nice doing it this way. And you know, like I said, I've been dealing with, um, I've been dealing with customer complaints and stuff or, or like inquiries and complaints and things. And everybody's been really cool. And I think because people understand that kind of, this is the way we're doing it, you know. You know, I mean, people talk about like, you know, okay, we've done 3,000 vinyl and we've got 30 damaged or whatever, right? Most of it by the post. It's a minor percentage. I don't work like that. You know, I don't work with this kind of, oh, well, it's a corporate write-off. Oh, we're always going to use 1%. It pisses me off because every one of those things, it's an album that hasn't gone out there. It's an album that's not been listened to. And we actually take a lot of pride in, in the way that, that we deal with, with people, you know, and... You know, 99.999%, you know, of people that have got in touch with us are are really understanding. And, you know, and that's why it kind of pisses us off, you know, that, you know, the postal services, Royal Mail, whatever, you know, they don't have the same application that we have. And other people that are working for us, um, that are out with this unit here, you know, I just wish that they would pay the same amount of attention and, and, and care as we do. 'Cause it works. And you know, and I like I like being able I, I like the contact. There's something very wholesome about the fact that every album, every single one of your albums, like right, it came from this room. It was in this room at some point. You know, and I like that. You know, it's it's not a big sausage machine, it's not a huge Amazon operation with robots or, or whatever and things, you know. And I like it like this. We don't have to sell hundreds of thousands of albums. It's like you know i said before i sell hundreds of thousands of albums could actually become a complete pain in the ass because it's solely like the demands on me and on my wife and i to basically um subscribe to that level of success and the demands we don't want to do that you know we're kind of we're really happy with kind of where we're at and the fact that we've broken the back of the pre orders and the fact that we're out of pre-orders now and now we're in the kind of clear ground, it's, it's, it's a nice feeling. And, you know, to be able to balance our own life, our own private life and personal life here, where kind of what we do, you know, you know, out there, it's kind of cool. I like it like that. You know, I, I don't wish for the old days by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's, it's nice to be kind of in control of kind of what you do. And, and we're, we're really lucky. And... And I'm really privileged to the fact that I've got such a loyal fan base. You guys are out there and you guys are supporting us. And um, it's fantastic. And that's why we try and repay it by doing what we do. And I like the contact. I like, you know, I like the fact we can exchange, the fact we can be personable and we can be, you know, it's, you know, it's not just something that's racked up in an HMV shop. It's it's something that's a bit different, Um, you know. Anyway, that's it. So uh, I like it like this. I mean, I'm glad I made the decision way back in '93, '94 to go independent, and that is another story that I should maybe talk about one time because it's interesting. But how the independent thing came about, but it's a long story. Helen Taylor Phelps. Philip Mason, yeah, I don't know what I'm writing yet. Doug Parson, over a year, how many kels do you boil? <laughs> a lot, we, we do a lot, I mean, because we got a new coffee grinder. It's brilliant. It's going, we go through a shitload more coffee now. I know, uh, but uh, I got my big beer of coffee and we'd be we filled at the top and you just press the button and it goes, and it crushes, it crushes the coffee beans. It doesn't, I had a, a Bosch one that spun it around and it burnt them and the taste's incredible. And uh now drinking shitloads more coffee which is simply really good for fatty liver deposits. And that's how I qualify my my uh, intake of coffee, which is probably medically unadvisable. Yeah. And Nolan, any story about liveage show another time? Uh, Simon Reeves, nice thing, Friday evening, end of the week, treating away, cheers, no problem, man. Uh, oh, fuck, wait. Yeah, Paul and me, a lot of satisfaction for you guys and us also knowing that we've been looked after by you and your family and giving you a dough with no middleman or corporate entity. Yeah. it's uh, The money stuff, money never drove me. Money was always just a, a way to do things or build things or, you know. It's like, I've got a lottery ticket for another day and it's like, going like, you know, what would we if if we won, if we won a really big win, you know, what would we do? And I'd, I'd give it away. <laughs> it's frappish. I build things, you know. I've, I've got, I've always had a fascination with old buildings and doing up old buildings and things. And I'd love to to do up flats for single people, you know, because I think you know having you know my daughter Tara, who and I've seen her being, you know, taken ripped off by various entities and paying an extortionate amount of rent for like you know single flats. Yeah, affordable houses for single people. If only the government could actually remember that, and some of the people that put these big planning permissions in that go, oh yes, we've got all these buildings for like, you know, cheap accommodation, enough, you know, low, low, low and, uh, suddenly they all disappear when it's like, oh, profits are going to go down, so we're going to have to take this away and this way, you know. We need to do this, but that's another whole thing, you know. But yeah, I've got, I'm getting older now, which is good, because I can start seeing stuff that, you know, you wouldn't say when you were in your 30s. But, but I'm going to be coming to that very soon. Not tonight, but like, oh. Uh, any lemmy stories fish it's nearly five years since he died now and he's still missed you might not know lemmy was at my wedding uh my wedding and not the one someone and i but my first wedding way back in uh what was it 1987 and lemmy was in north berwick <laughs> he turned up dressed like lemmy being lemmy as lemmy always was and uh he was um, snorting speed off a, an SS dagger in the, in, the, in the grounds of the hotel and stuff, and I think he he was he ended up in somebody's house down in North Berwick. I think it was, it was a, there was somebody happen, something happening in a garden, and he introduced himself and he ended up making loads of friends there in North Berwick. But he was yeah he was at the wedding. Off oh, his not. It was great. I, I used to know Lemmy quite. I used to see Lemmy an awful lot and. Back in the days of the marquee, he was always in the marquee club. Back in the in, in the early eighties, when I, when I was kicking around there, and we always used to be up and like. But then um, I didn't see him for a while, and uh, he was always in the Hammersmith Odeon bar. Oh, that's another one. Forgot what's his name? Oh, have you got the seed there, Darren? You know that little packet of seed with the letter? The, with the letter? Do you still? What did you do with it? There was a letter with seed it was on the kitchen table it had a little plastic bag with, with seed in it you had it in your hands earlier on I've never it, so it's <laughs> I won't go looking for it now but it's um basically I think his name I think it was Marco and he ran the bar I don't have it if it was still Marco yeah, forgive Forg- forgive me right but it's through there somewhere. But Marco was the bar and he ran the bar in the Hammersmith Odeon backstage area, right? It was way up on the top floor of the Hammy Odeon, right? And uh, I hadn't seen him for years. I used to go up there and that's where I used to see Lemmy. Lemmy and I were always in the bar, right? We were always in the bar. sitting there. oh how you doing, Lemmy? All right, cool. And he was really into my lyrics. He was a, he was a big lyric fan. And, uh, he, and he really got off on, on, on my lyrics, which was a great accolade coming from somebody like himself. He was a very well-read man. And, uh, and he loved history. And we used to have loads of discussions about, about history. And he was, he was very knowledgeable. And, um, and I never saw him for years. And the, the next time I was across, it was in... I went across in, I think it was 91 or something. And I ended up in the, in the Rainbow, uh, the Rainbow Bar. Uh, the, the rainbow bar and grill and on sunset and i walked in and he was there and as i said i hadn't seen him for a long time and he was he was playing a machine and i went i let me doing? and he completely blanked me and uh and he was he was off his face but not in a good way and i was like i just walked away i just thought you know what i'll just let him be there and i think i saw him once or twice after that and but I, 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 I think he changed a lot in, in those days he was a lovely bloke and like I said I, I loved his company and especially down in the and um during the marquee club and 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 the, the night club opposite sweeties place opposite we used to spend up there till three four in the morning drinking and it was uh school. cool Ricky any chance of a fish fleece for the shop are we only fish fleeces do we still have fleeces no, we don't. We'll get something in at some point. Nigel Oliver, did your mushroom log produce anything? Mine has done so at Mine has also done so at And I'm a bit worried about it. And uh, But they said six months. And uh, I'm going to leave it till next spring. And then I'll send you complete. My mission is not spawned. But so, uh, yeah, but we will give it another try. Uh, March else, Stewart, have you considered ordered more copies of Thirteen Star? No. Because what I'm gonna do is next year I'd like Steve and I Steve Anxis and I want to put together a thirteen star remaster and do it that way. So I don't really want any more thirteen stars. But with everything, well you people talk about the internal vinyls and, and everything else. Is um I I don't wanna jump the gun. You know, I mean we're living in kind of strange times and you know, people, there's people out there that are losing jobs and have got more important things to spend money on than albums and I don't want to kind of, um, you know, go out and start pretending that everything's kind of normal. I'll make decisions when decisions need to be made but I respect the fact that, like, there are a lot more important things and there but for the grace of God go I with regards to a lot of stuff. I'll just want to breach this before I go in it, right? I'm watching the R rates, and I'm, I've seen videos of uh, towns and cities and people jumping about, looping about, and, you know, all the rest of it, no masks. And, again, I was sitting talking uh, about this. You know, I think it's in, in Liverpool at the moment, uh, the hospital beds are 90%, you know, the actual beds, not, the, the, not going up to respiratory, you know, recovery areas. I mean, not going on to, onto to the equipment. But they will you know, and all these people that are being hospitalised, yes, it's going to move up, and they will be on resuscitators. And I said last week, and I've said for the last couple of weeks, that, you know, people go on about, you know, well, the worst thing that can happen is resuscitation and, you know, being unable to breathe and pneumonia and da-da-da. It's not, right? I was talking to somebody who's a very good friend of mine, no names, no pack I know him, Right? He caught COVID in April, at the end of March, beginning of April, and he wasn't hospitalised. And he said he had a dreadful, dreadful time. And I was talking to him about a week ago, right? And he said, it's COVID, this is the gift that keeps on giving, right? And he's been recovering since the beginning of April, right? And what happened was that during that, that time, uh, during the end of the COVID thing, his temperature was up. He was delirious. He was in a complete mess. He said it was horrible. One of the worst things he's ever had. And he thought he was having a stroke because his face dropped. His his one side of his face dropped. And he's now been diagnosed with Bell's palsy. And Bell's palsy, for those who you may or may not know, it's a virus that basically affects the. Effects, it comes out the. It's got to do with nerves, etc. But basically. One side of his face, including his mouth, is dropped, and they don't know if it will ever get better again. Um, and he's just hoping that it'll, it'll kind of heal. But there is no cure for it, and it's, it's, a, it's a byproduct in the same way as you know there are people suffering from organ failure after COVID, right? And this stuff is all called, it's called long COVID, and you will get used to this term because they're now. Starting to pay a bit more attention to it, right? It doesn't matter where you're—sixteen, seventeen, forty, thirty, whatever. You might not end up on a ventilator. You might not even end up in hospital. But there's there's problems with this long COVID, which is the post COVID thing. In the same way as I have post sepsis things, I have problems with my nerves. I have problems with the ligaments. I've got there's a load of post sepsis stuff that happened to me, you know, since I've recovered from sepsis that are, are not going away, right? And it's the same with COVID. And that's what you need to think about a little bit. Because, you know, if you think it's just a case of, like, you know, you're avoiding going into hospital and being a ventilator, no, you're wrong. You've got to be aware that there are other things that are happening that aren't being really talked about, that need to be talked about. Channel 4, we're on about over 100,000 people suffering from long COVID. And we need to be aware of that. And that's why it's important to do stuff like wash your hands, keep your distance, and wear the mask. I'll wear two of these when I go out. That's the way I keep the, the... the, the level up. It's not medical, but it, it, it's doing the trick. And we don't go out. And I just cancelled the tour next February because I can't trust. You know what it's going to be like, and I cannot risk my band, my crew, and I can't risk you as well. Because if you come along to gigs, I don't want you guys coming along and going like, you know, am I going to be okay? And da da da. You know, we have to get through it. But the only way we can get through it is to get the R, R rates down. And the only way we can do that is basically isolating. You know the score. and don't want to become boring, and uh, you know, but it's like we're fucking up at the moment and the government's not helping. I think it's, it's becoming complicated and I've said before, common sense is the best thing you can possibly use in this scenario and just think about it, you know. Um, we hold up here, as I said, we're lucky, you know. We're, we I've got the garden, we've got this unit, you know, we don't you know, thanks to you guys, we're able to like, you know, pay off bills, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the album recording has been paid off now and it's, um, you know, which has been a, a, a big relief for us, but fuck all that. It's like the COVID thing is just, you know, like this afternoon I was watching TV and it hit me, you know, it just, it, it grinds you down, I, I know. It grinds me down, it grinds you down and it's like, But we just got to stay focused and as i said stay positive and all um you know i get cabin fever and as i said you know and you know when i sent out the email and and said tour gone it was there was a big lump you know in my soul a big dark sudden lump in my soul when it was like oh fuck, i'm here again you know but i've got to deal with it you know and so we all but i mean it's up to you guys to look after it yourselves and be responsible for yourselves. If you're, if everybody's responsible for themselves, then you know, things are going to ease off. And it's all, you know, as I said, I mean, I understand about people not having work. I understand this. The government does need to step in and a lot more and deal with this furlough thing. There's no point in turning and seeing lockdown if people are sitting there, you know, I mean, the, the rents and everything. I mean, I've got my own ideas about this. I've too short a time to go into this, but I mean there needs to be a bit more understanding right across the spectrum, you know, on, on, on where this this all is. But the bottom line is, as individuals, we've got to be responsible for ourselves and be responsible in some degree for others. You know, if we take care of ourselves and if everybody does that, then we can get things under control. And at the moment, it's fucking out of control, you know. And, um, and Fishing and Friday, you know, I actually thought, you know, that, you know, maybe at this point, you know, would be kind of, you know, getting to the stage where it's like, you know, there's only another couple to do. Nope, I'm still here and I will still be here and I will carry on being here as long as this shit is going down. And that is the way it is. But, um, we're moving towards an end game now. And, uh, <laughs> the other thing. <coughs> hey. Like I said, so as Steve Anson said, 2020 is like the season finale is going to be something really, really special. It's, it's, I mean, you know, like I said, watching CNN at night and then watching, you know, Sky and BBC and blah, blah, blah and reading The Independent, The Guardian and everyone else. It's like, fuck! Yeah. I know. Uh, and right on the top of all this, we have Brexit! He said, like, "You forget with that, right?" He was. I was watching. He said, "Oh, by the way, it's going to be probably the high, probably a No Deal Brexit." i have gone, on, oh, fucking bollocks. Excuse the language, but uh, yeah. So I was watching all those shenanigans today. I was watching Boris. Do you think Boris's hair's falling out? I think the stress is getting to him. But his hair definitely looked a lot thinner than it did last week. And I think the stress is definitely getting to him. Well, but it was seen. Uh, um, it was just. You know, it was like going down the news and you just forget about the Brexit thing. It was possibly a New Deal, blah, blah, blah. 7,000 lorries. Uh, 7,000 lorries. It was like, you know, stuck in, in, at the border. be <laughs> You get the, tour, the... Tour's on, but uh, we're going to be in a queue. It's going to take us three months to clear Dover. <laughs> we'll have to fly everything in. Get all the gear in Germany now. But those days... You think back to those heady days. I mean, even now, we should have been on the European tour now. T- t- I don't know where we were supposed to be tonight. But, you know, those days where you kind of... where the, the, the nightliner pulls up at 4 o'clock in the morning and you all, it's your last your last night of the tour and everybody's a bit squished and swallied and everything like that. You turn up at the, bar, the French bar. Oh, how are you doing? Everybody off the bus. They're putting the dogs on. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. yeah. Nobody's carrying, nobody's carrying. Oh, how are you doing? I'm standing around there, Mike, Well, yeah, you've got passport. Ah, here are Oh, you're that boy at Marillion, aren't you? Uh, crawling back on the bus to get up in the ferry to sleep in the bunk beds, which you're not supposed to do. But you never bored with the ship going, down. It? it? was like, I just want to sleep now. And then getting into England and sailing through and then getting onto the M25. Those days have gone... <laughs> It's going to be, how many weeks have we been here? Where's the nearest toilet? I need to get off this bus. It's not moving. It's going to be completely different. And it's like, like I said, I mean, you know, getting equipment back and forth from, from Europe is going to be a whole new deal, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's all to, to look forward. You know? um, oh, anyway, so, we're moving into I want to play this because this is kind of how I've been feeling... This, this track kind of, I think, summed up my week. You know, I'm here and I'm, I'm chippy and da-da-da, but, I mean, it has been it's been a testing week this week, you know, playing whack-a-mole and um, dealing all the bits and pieces, but we're here, right? We're here, and it's Friday. It's Friday. So, ah, let's get something set up. Got to put the vinyl on now. This is where I scratch everyone in the shit. Turns it down. Set Fezal to Sun, Captain. As it lined up. Look at that perfect positioning. This is for us tonight. Vinyl. Where we're at.
1: Please let me introduce myself. I'm simply a man of our time. Dig it. to live without reason or rhyme Betrayed by system I'm giving up Trying to change Let me tell you now for nothing I am back in the A circus of clouds The heavens roar thunder
0: it for another week. It's just two minutes past eight. Extra time. Just want to say thank you all very much for listening. Be part of this. This continues and continues and continues. Um, all I'll say is it's Friday. A lot of you are going to be in your houses tonight. Be good to each other. Stay safe and take care and be sensible um, until next week, I will see you then. And from the missus, what is a good night? Good night. Thank you for everything. And from me, a uh, big night. Watch what you're doing, and I'll see you all next Friday. And just thanks for being out there, okay? Cheers. Bye.